today in the name of Jesus, we proclaim a reading from the book of Acts of the Apostles. The stories of the beginning and birth of our church, those first followers who took the instruction and the example and the good news of Christ and carried it into the world, transforming lives, transforming communities, transforming human history. Here today from Acts, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 5, we'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. You can follow along in your versions or right here on your screens. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, by what power Or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals, by which we must be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. By what power and by what name did you do this? Sometimes when we jump into these scripture readings for church, It's clear that there's a lot of context, a lot of backstory that we missed. We're kind of jumping in right in the middle of the trial. By what power or by what name did you do this? The judge who is the high priest, Caiaphas and Annas, look at Peter and John and accuse them. By what power, by whose name did you do this? If this was one of those law dramas and courtroom drama TV, we would have this tense moment in the courtroom and then we'd have a flashback in order to bring the audience up to speed. What is it that these men have possibly done? What is it that they are accused of? By what power and by whose name did they do what? To answer this question, for us as the audience 2,000 years after the fact, we must turn back a chapter. You see, in Acts chapter 3, we zoom in on a man being carried by his neighbors. This happens every day to this man. He is carried by a neighbor or a friend from his home and placed on the ground outside of the gate 
that leads into the temple grounds. This is his pattern. Each and every day, a neighbor comes by, picks him up, carries him literally to this spot outside the temple gate. And then at the end of the day, they pick him up again and they take him back home. See, scripture tells us in chapter 3 that from birth, this man was born without the ability to walk. His legs, his ankles, his feet, they're unable to sustain him for one reason or another. This is his life each and every day. Wake up, get picked up, carried to the temple gate, placed down so that he may spend all day begging for help. Taking loose change here, piteous glances there, sometimes perhaps not even eye contact in hopes that he can eke out a living for himself since he cannot work, since he cannot walk. All the time, his entire life spent dependent upon the charity and the pity of other people. Picked up and carried, picked up and carried. Peter and John are walking. They're walking to the temple with crowds and a group of disciples. They're going to the temple in order to teach. They're going to the temple in order to proclaim Jesus and to see if they can have any more conversations where they might be able to tell someone about who Jesus is and and what happened to Jesus in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, and the good news that comes of it. And they walk by this gate, this fixture of the temple grounds known as the beautiful gate. It was adorned with gold and silver and ornate artistry. It was truly a wonder to behold this beautiful gate. And you contradict that gate with the condition of the the man who sat below it. This man, unable to walk, trying to hold out his hand in hopes that somebody might put some money in it or some bread or at least look him in the eyes. Can we relate with this man? Have you ever felt stuck? Have you ever felt unseen? He's never walked. He has been reliant his whole life on other people to move him around. He is unable to bring about his own healing, his own transformation. He's doing the best he can. And he does have compassionate friends. Every day they carry him. Every day they show up for him. Every day they carry him back home. Every day people toss him loose change and alms. They do what they can to help him. They make it work within the limits of his reality. Nobody, not even him up to this point, has had the power to create or even imagine a different way of life for this man to live. What reality have you learned to live with yourself? What limits have you come to just accept for yourself? What limits might you even be enabling in someone else? Beloved, I would argue that all of us, to some degree, are struggling with a limit of faithful imagination for how different life could be from the reality in which we find ourselves. In this story, we then experience a crucial shift 
You see it coming. The man sitting on the steps, his hand outstretched, Peter and John slowly approaching. You see, this is the crucial shift in the story when the reality of life meets someone who has experienced the Christ way of changing the reality of life. Where normalcy meets divinity. Where the way things are meets the resurrection of a new life. John and Peter cross paths with this man on their way to the temple. And they do something that few people have done before. They stop and they draw close. And we know that this man has his hand outstretched But it's Peter who looks at the man and invites him to look back at him. And I want to focus in on this moment. I want you to see this picture in your mind's eye because this is a real moment where a person in help extends their hands and yet they do not have the wherewithal to actually lift their eyes. You see, those of us who are asking for help, it's a courageous thing to do. It's one thing to stick out your hand. It's another thing to have to overcome the shame and the mistrust that would allow me to actually lift my eyes and meet your gaze. You see, so many who have dared to ask for help have tried many times before and been met with judgment, been met with shame, been met with people they couldn't trust or promises broken. It takes a lot of courage to extend your hand. It takes even more courage to lift your eyes. Peter says, look at me. Those of us who desire to help, those of us who desire to be part of transforming someone else's life, my friends, we've got to be willing to do the hard work of stopping, of inviting, and of taking as long as it takes to move past the shame to earn the trust and to make a genuine connection, to really get to know someone and to be known because that, that, my beloved, is where the Holy Spirit does the Holy Spirit's best work. And this is what happens in this moment. In the shadow of the beautiful gate, the gold and the silver and the ornateness, Peter looks into the eyes of this man and he says, I don't have gold or silver to give you. I have no money to put in your hand. But what I do have, Peter says, what I do have might in fact change your life. And what I do have, I give you he says. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Peter then extends his hand back to the man. He takes his hand and helps him to stand. And this man, this 40-year-old man who has never walked a day in his life, it's scripture says that strength came to his ankles and to his feet. Strength came to his legs. It began creeping up his body. And before he knew it, this man was not only standing, he was leaping and running for joy. He took off down the streets. He took off into the temple courtyard. And he began proclaiming to anyone and everyone who would listen that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he had been made well. 
His life had been transformed. He now had a story to tell, a witness to give, and he was off and running, leaping to show the world what happened in the name of Jesus. Many were amazed. At the end of chapter 3, it tells us that over 5,000 people came to believe in the name and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that day. Never underestimate the power of your story of transformation to be a spark that transforms the lives of others. 5,000 people's lives were transformed that day by the transformation of one. But others were threatened by this story. Others were angry over the commotion that a lame man's uprising was causing in a holy place, a place reserved for worship, is being distracted by a man who has a witness to give. Ah, the irony of a place of healing be disrupting by a story of healing. They were also angry with the apostles, with Peter and John's crediting this healing to the name and the risenness of Jesus Christ. The Sadducees, who were the religious leaders of the day, you remember those stories from the end of the Gospels. These were the very ones who stood trial and held court over Jesus in his arrest and his persecution. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They certainly did not want to give any further credence to the man who was Jesus. This directly contradicted their beliefs and their teachings, and you better believe it threatened their power. So Peter and John were arrested and jailed and brought to testify before the rulers and the elders and the scribes in Jerusalem with Ananias, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all those who were part of the high priestly family. And they looked upon these two gentlemen and said with accusation, by what power and by what name did you do this? Then filled with the Holy Spirit, our text tells us, Filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter begins to speak. Luke, who is the author of Acts, gives us our answer right away. He told us earlier, in fact, it was Jesus who told the disciples way back in Luke, the 12th chapter, when they bring you before the synagogues, the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how you are to defend yourselves or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at the very hour what you ought to say. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter begins to speak He is incredulous that they are threatening him with imprisonment over an act of faith that brought about total healing in a man's life. So he takes full advantage of the ability to repeat his testimony as he did before the crowds where 5,000 lives were transformed. He looked back at the ruling power and he said, in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ, who is the Son of God, who you did not know, and instead sentenced to death by crucifixion, but whom God raised from the dead, is the salvation of all. This is Jesus, he said. 
It was the stone that you rejected. You who are the builders, you rejected it. And yet Jesus has become the cornerstone of God's new movement in the world. This is what God is up to. Jesus is the establishment of a new covenant, of a new revelation of God's nature and power, and the established powers of the world. You have authority up until death, but God has authority over death all the way to resurrection. Jesus is the cornerstone of this new construction of God's work in the world. Peter speaks on behalf of Holy Spirit and the authorities that be are speechless. How often, my beloved in Christ, do we speak with such authority on behalf of what we know Jesus is up to in the world? I make note that in this trial scene, perhaps someone has noticed that this encounter with this man who needed healing did not take place inside the temple. Instead, it took, out, took place outside, beyond the gates, in the streets. What can we as a church in the modern world learn from this beautiful example of our ancient faith? You see, this year, church buildings have been closed. Even today, this is the third time during this pandemic that I have had the honor and the blessing to preach for you, to share God's word with you. And this is the first time that I've been able to step foot in this building. It is a blessing to be back in the building. And yet, though the buildings were closed, beloved, the church was absolutely not. These last 13 months, the church, this one, all churches have had unprecedented opportunity to follow the Spirit into the world to speak the name of Jesus, and to see incredible, literal, physical, emotional, relational, spiritual healing. So today, I welcome you as guests again, those joining us for the first time, and I claim your presence in the name of Jesus. That is God's work between us. I welcome those of you who live far away, and I claim our reconnection in the name of Jesus. I welcome those of you who are sick or immunocompromised and because of the faithful giving and innovative ministry of your church can still yet be connected and be ministered to and join in worship in the name of Jesus. I claim your health and healing and wholeness. For those of you who are at work, for those of you who are without transportation, for those of you who are a caregiver at home, for those of you who are unable yet to be with those you love, in the name of Jesus, I claim your connection to a faith community and to those who claim you as their own. For those of you who feel far from God, who carry anger and grief and mistrust, I welcome those of you who feel isolated in your faith or even in your exploration of faith. I welcome you the, for those of you who feel that, that this kind of life is foolishness. In the name of Jesus, I pray the power of the Holy Spirit over you to dwell with you, to speak the words you need to hear. Jesus Christ did powerful work beyond the established gates of religious buildings 
And now the disciples have picked up that mantle and are carrying it forward as well. And for those of us who've inherited that role, who desire to be followers of Jesus, who know what it means to experience healing in Jesus' name and want the same for others, this is our blessed work. Where has a Christ follower met you recently and spoken the name of Jesus into your life in a way that transformed you? A few weeks ago, I'm proud to say that I received my second vaccine. It is a gift for which I am very, very grateful. And that second vaccine, it was full of joy and gratitude. I gotta tell you, I wanted to hug everybody. I didn't, I continue to wear my mask, I continue to wash my hands, I continue to keep space because I want to keep everybody safe. But my goodness, my heart was full of gratitude and joy. That was not the same with my first vaccine. My first vaccine a few weeks earlier was full of grief. I arrived at my vaccine site and there were long lines and they weaved all throughout the space. There were tons of volunteers, tons of masks, paperwork I had to present. It was just a lot of overwhelm. When the nurse finally placed the needle in my arm, she said, are you okay? Did it hurt? And I remember looking up at her and saying, it was nothing. But in my heart, I was crying because it was everything. I sat down in the waiting area. I was one of dozens that were there. Everyone was staring at their phones. You know, this is where we live. But I looked around the room. And I, I looked at all the people and I, I was overwhelmed by the idea that all of us were receiving this blessing, that all of us had reached this point when there were many who hadn't, many who won't, many who wouldn't. I was overwhelmed by it all. And I began to cry. And a volunteer came up to me. Behind her mask and her face shield, I could hear her say, are you okay? And I looked up at her and, and quietly tried to dismiss her. I, I could barely even make eye contact. I didn't want her necessarily to see the depth of my emotion. It, it felt very vulnerable to me. But she, she bent down and she looked me in the eyes and asked again, are you okay? I realized she wasn't asking about me physically. She was asking about me emotionally. All I could do was shake my head. And she said, did you lose someone? Did I lose someone in my house? No, thanks be to God. But did I lose someone this year? I lost countless someones this year. I lost them to isolation. I lost them to death. I lost them to violence. I lost them to grief. I, my grief was huge. And I, all I could do was just nod my head vigorously. She then spoke to me about those she had lost, and she named them. She named her mother-in-law, Susan. She named her brother-in-law, Jim. And in that moment, she was with me. We were together in my grief. And she said to me, good for you for naming your grief, and for being honest about it. There is so much power in naming it for what it is.
There is so much power, beloved, in naming your grief for what it is. Then she leaned in closer and she said, may I pray with you? My friends, I pray with people for a living. And for the past year, I have prayed with people via Zoom and by phone. I have prayed with people from a distance. I have prayed with people, for people in the quiet of my own prayer closet. It has been so long since I have prayed with someone. And she offered prayer over me. My beloved, to receive her prayer in that moment was one of the greatest gifts I could have received. And I could tell she didn't do this professionally. I could tell this was not something she always did or readily did in her role as a volunteer. In fact, I could feel her nerves. I could feel her anxiousness. I knew as she continued to pray and continued to pray and continued to pray, I felt her angst rise as she neared the end of the prayer. And I could tell, I could feel it in her spirit that she was trying to decide whether or not she would speak a name over me. And I am so grateful that she did As she closed her prayer, she said, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We have said far too many names this year in grief and in remembrance. Claimed far too many names as a cry for justice and equity and mercy. We have said far too many names remembering as opposed to being with. In that moment, at that threshold, I thanked all the scientists and doctors and medical workers and first responders, all those who had helped those of us sitting in the waiting room get to that point. But in that moment, when she spoke the name of Jesus over me, I knew that that was the reason my life had been transformed. That was who was claiming life over me and that I had hope because Jesus resurrected from the dead and all manner of things, all manner of powers, all manner of healing can be claimed in the name of Jesus. I claim that name over you today, beloved. In the name of Jesus, I claim for you hope. In the name of Jesus, I claim for you healing. In the name of Jesus, I pray for you community. In the name of Jesus, I pray and claim your freedom. For the same name that was claimed over us today was claimed 2,000 years ago as well. May we all stand up and leap for joy. For in the name of Jesus, we are healed. Amen.